You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. I speak, uh, speak all over the country, but Awaken is a special church. Um, really is. I love this church. God sent me as a scout to you from the front lines to tell you about what's happening in the battle for religious freedom in America. And if you want to go back and read something afterwards that I think we all need to be reminded of, go, go to Joshua 1, and you'll read, God has to repeat over and over and over again, be strong and courageous to the Israel. Be strong and courageous. Be strong. They're about to go into the promised land, but they're about to face a culture, a battle first that's going to be very frightening. That's where we are. And so as I go through this, remember, go back to Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. This is our time to be strong and courageous. So let me start with the basics. Let me start with the basics. What is First Liberty? First Liberty is the largest legal organization in the country that all we do is religious freedom. So let's say you're a little five-year-old girl. Your name is Gabriela Perez, and you're caught praying over your meal and told it's not good to pray at school. And let's say you're Chaplain Calvert. You've been in the Army for 17 years doing great service and then they tell you they're ending your career and your pensions over because you mentioned the bible as one of the reasons for the commentary you were giving they don't have money to go out and hire the best attorneys in the country gabriella's family's outside of miami dade so what do they do so we bring in the best litigators in the country who all donate their time so that when gabriella wins which she did when chaplain calvert wins which he did We don't just win for Gabriella. We win for every kid and grandkid all across the country. We don't just win for Chaplain Calvert. We win for everybody who serves us in the military. So that's why we do what we do. Well, you know, why is this important? I mean, believers tend to think they know immediately, oh, yeah, religious freedom is important. It's our first freedom. The founders called it our first freedom. But it's important to me because I want to be able to share my faith. I want to be able to tell people. I want to be able to live my life. It's actually much bigger than that. If you remove religious freedom, incredible evil comes in. And we're starting to see it. Marxism, as it starts to come and push in our country, you know, when Marxism comes in, it has to remove the church. It has to remove the religious leaders because it's a competing authority structure. And, you know, there's a great book, if you haven't read it, called Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. He goes and interviews the people in former uh, communist countries, whether from the Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia, Poland, a number of them. And to a one, every one of these people say they're terrified at what they're watching right now in the United States. And they talk about how, what did they do in the Soviet Union? They killed the priest. It's the first thing they did. And this battle is now here. Many churches don't even, oh, I don't want to preach about that. Right. Well, you know, you're a fool Come on, because they're coming after you. You have to stand. So what is the answer? The answer is live not by lies. Okay. Alexander Solzhenitsyn's last essay before he was banned from the Soviet Union was that these totalitarian regimes only exist if people go along with the lies. But if enough people, not a majority, just enough people will stand and speak the truth, even though it costs them, totalitarianism collapses. And he tells the story. He tells a story of country after country, these people who are standing up and speaking the truth and suffering and how freedom breaks out everywhere. Well, that's where we are now. 
We're, I mean, we, know, we see things every day. We go, nobody believes that, but will anybody say anything? Okay, this is the battle we're in. And the best way I can describe why religious freedom is our first freedom, why everything hinges on it, is the one thing that totalitarianism can never allow is citizens who hold an allegiance to one higher than the government. So whenever that type of oppression comes in, the first flashpoint will always be religious freedom. And if you lose there, you'll lose all your freedoms. So even if you're not a person of faith at all, if you care about your economic freedom, if you care about your free speech, if you care about any of it, you better fight for religious freedom. So that being the case, how are we doing? You know, we're in a country, I care about my freedoms. How, so how's religious freedom? I probably don't have to convince you. We're in a war right now. Uh, 12 years ago, we had 48 cases. Last year, we had over 700. The attacks are increasing dramatically. And I think most people realize that. We're in a fight. I don't have to go too far back. Let's look at COVID. We had this pandemic all of a sudden, mayors, governors, county officials got power they'd never had in their life. What was the flashpoint with this new power? What was the thing we were fighting about across the country? It was whether churches or synagogues could be open. The liquor store's open. The Home Depot's open. But you can't open for an hour on the weekend for a religious service. Fascinating, isn't it? And we knew this was going to be hard because... There was no precedent in our country on what happens in a pandemic. Do you suspend the Constitution? What, what, what is the law, right? We were seeing visuals, right? The guy coming off the beach all by himself with a surfboard being arrested. The father throwing a ball in the park, being handcuffed for throwing the ball in the park. And we're like, this is going to be really hard because we knew if we went into court and we got a judge, on one side is a governor saying, I'm trying to save millions of people's lives. On the other side is a pastor or a rabbi saying, I just want to hold my service. That's very hard for that judge to rule and maybe risk lives, they think. So we prayed, and we prayed. We, had, we knew we had to wait for the right case. And all these churches and, and uh, places of worship calling us saying, you won't believe what they're doing to us. And we waited, and we, all of a sudden we got a call almost two years ago right now from a church that said, you know what, we were trying to figure out how to do Easter, and we wanted to be together. And we, but we wanted to be safe. So we came up with the idea of driving in our cars to the church parking lot. The minister would speak over uh, a frequency into our radio, and we could all have Easter together. And I'm not a CDC expert. Of course, I don't think the CDC is much of an expert these days either. But I'm pretty sure you don't pass the coronavirus from one automobile to another. Pretty safe. The city told them they would be criminally prosecuted if they drove into their church parking lot for Easter. The governor then said he was going to visit, they were going to have police officers visit all the churches that weekend, and that anybody who was there in their car, they were going to write the license plate down, and that they would be visited at their home by police officers where they would be quarantined for 14 days. We said, okay, we're now in China. This is the case. And so we filed on Good Friday an emergency injunction request. We got a federal judge by the name of Judge Justin Walker. He said, this is like some sort of dystopian novel. We've got an American city criminalizing an Easter gathering. He said, this is irrational, it's unreasonable, and this will never happen as long as I'm a federal judge in the United States of America. But... Our goal wasn't to get people back in their cars in the church parking lot. 
Our goal is to get people back to church. So we filed the next case was Tabernacle Baptist Church. It's a church in an area with very few COVID cases, big church, lots of room, and they wanted to meet, but they couldn't meet. You could meet if you wanted to go, you know, to uh, Walmart, but you can't meet if you want to go to the church in a safe way. And so we filed a lawsuit. And before we were finished, the African-American Attorney General, Daniel Cameron, wonderful guy, joined us suing his own governor, and we ended up with a statewide injunction telling every house of worship in the state they had every right to open, and the government could not stop them from doing so. Now, I wish that had made all of, you know, we had lots of cases. We won every case during the pandemic. But none of these cases made the Supreme Court, and there's no marriage decision. So we literally still have no precedent at the highest level as to whether the government controls our churches, our synagogues, our houses of worship. Uh, we're going to have to keep fighting. And these battles aren't just in COVID. I mean, we've got attacks on churches and synagogues across the country right now. Um, Canaan Baptist Church, one of our small African-American church. They came in the city, said, we're going to take your property. And they said, you can't take our property. We're going to build our sanctuary there. They said, well, uh, but we want to put a fire station there. They said, there's a fire station across the street. They said, yeah, but we like that property better. Well, they figured they're small. They don't have a lot of power. Well, we brought in the best litigators in the country who specialize in this. And the city changed its mind and decided maybe they didn't want the church property after all. And the pastor called us back a few months later to let us know that the new sanctuary is going to be named after the attorneys who donated their time in that case. Synagogues. We have cases with synagogues in New York and uh, outside of Los Angeles and Houston, all across the country. We have a case still going right now outside of Los Angeles. They're in their 12th legal action, this synagogue. I mean, they're just under attack. All they want to do is worship. So this is what's happening in the United States right now, the ability just to come together and worship. Of course, religious organizations are under attack. I think most people know about OSHA, the big thing. Uh, it, basically, I mean, here's the very basics of all of that. America is not a dictatorship. A president cannot issue an edict and take over every company in the country with 100 or more employees and the health care of all their employees. That's not how it works, Okay horrible idea, clearly violative of the law. But what people don't realize is that just wasn't secular corporations. Every religious organization with 100 more employees was also going to be taken over, including churches. I mean, you know how outrageous this is? So the day this went into effect, we filed three lawsuits on behalf of major religious organizations. Um, within days, we had an injunction from a court a federal court of appeals saying, you can't do this in the United States of America. And then you know what happened. We and 10 other groups made it to the Supreme Court in an emergency motion, and the Supreme Court struck down that OSHA attempt to take over all the corporations in the company. Again, attacks on churches, synagogues, religious organizations, but also attacks on our schools. I mean, we have kids all the time we're having to help. Elizabeth Turner. When's the right to be the valedictorian? What does a valedictorian address mean? It means personal farewell. Everybody ex you know, expresses their opinion about things, sometimes about politics, about whatever. Well, Elizabeth had one problem. She was told there's one thing you can't do because those, that is, quote, inappropriate. What? Was she going to cuss? Was she, well, what was she going to do? She was going to mention Jesus Christ. They said, you can't do that. Well, she's the valedictorian. She's smart. She knows they can't tell her to do that. 
So she called us and said, I need some help. And by the time we were finished, not only did she give her valedictory address and mention Jesus Christ, but instead of her audience that she was going to have, Fox News and other carried it, and it reached a lot greater audience in the country. Attacks on you know, students, schools, churches, attacks by woke corporations. We're seeing this all over the country. You know, woke religion is really a false religion. It's an attack upon, upon Judeo-Christian beliefs. And you, it's, it's a bad religion because at least in other religions, you're allowed to pick what you believe. There, it's like, you believe this or we will destroy you. And people are being horribly, you know, affected by this across the country. But there's no ability to get after it until our case. Alaska Airlines decided they wanted to get behind a new law that they're trying to pass through Congress that's really radical. It's called the Equality Act. What it does is it strips religious freedom protection out of all the federal laws whenever there's any LGBT issue so that there's never religious freedom. I mean, really radical. They could come in and apply it in your church. It's not going to pass. It's too extreme. But Alaska Airlines thought it was a great idea, and they told their employees, we'd really like you to get behind it. And they said, in fact, we'd love your feedback. Well, a few of the flight attendants sent in and said, you know, I'm a Christian, and this is a real problem. I, I mean, this could affect religious freedom, my church, et cetera. So what did Alaska Airlines do? They fired the flight attendants who expressed their religious beliefs. Well, you know, again, you can do things and abuse people to a certain extent, but when you fire people because of their religious beliefs in the United States of America, you're about to feel some pain. And so we've got a lawsuit. On behalf of these flight attendants, I hate what they're going through right now, being out of a job, not knowing where their um, income is going to come from. I mean, they're going through a lot. But our goal is not just to win for them. It's also to leave a mark on Alaska Airlines that sends a message to every woke corporation, you don't do this to people in the United States of America. And then attacks in the military. We've had to create a whole division just to protect religious freedom in our military. This, they're, fighting, they're giving their lives so that we have religious freedom and that people are trying to take it away from them. So probably the most well-known case right now is our Navy SEALs case. We represent 35 Navy SEALs who, they're, it's incredible the abuse. These, these, I mean, these guys have given everything, 350 years of combat service. A number of them have PTSD, other issues, and... There is a federal law that allows you to ask for a religious exemption to the vaccine. Many of these guys are immune. If you stuck the, the virus in them, they're so incredible. Within an hour, you'd probably be dead and running for cover, okay? But they're going to throw these guys out of the military. We're going to lose our best people. Why? All right. But they just ask, which is their right, to get a religious accommodation. Because they ask, they're being punished, you can't do that. A federal law allows you to ask. The military can't come in. Now, look, we love uh, those who serve us in the military. But the one thing we can never allow is the top people in the military to think that they're above the law and they don't have to follow the laws that the rest of us do. So this idea, one of the things they did, one of these guys, they canceled all his PTSD appointments. Okay, They, they, they called the clinic and said, don't see him. It's just outrageous what they're doing to these people. We went into federal court. We uh, unearthed a lot of evidence that their whole religious accommodation process was a total sham. Uh, in fact, the judge referred to it as theater, and he issued an injunction 
and joining the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Navy, saying, you will not touch these guys until this lawsuit is over, and when it's over, you're probably going to be in trouble as well. We, because we recovered this evidence, we realized this is not just happening to the SEALs. This evidence of their sham that they're doing, it applies to everybody in the Navy. So just two weeks ago, we expanded our case into a class action that will hopefully protect every single person in the Navy from the same kind of activity. So it, it, there's even attacks on people sharing their faith. Uh, we, one of my favorite cases last year was uh, a, a lady by the name of Gail Blair. Gail was slowly going blind, and as she was doing that, she realized the most important thing to her was that she'd be able to share with people about Jesus. So she was like, I can't nurse anymore. I don't have interaction. What do I do? And she realized, well, I'm in the, an apartment across the street from the park. So every day with her cane, she finds her way across the street from the park to the park. She sits on a bench hoping somebody will sit nearby. And if so, she strikes up a conversation. And at the end, she says, would you like to receive a copy of the Gospel of John? She did that until she was banned from the park and the library for two years for talking about her religion in public. And so this is just a three-minute video, but look at the story of Gail Blair. Nursing was it for me. It was my identity. I did everything. If I could help them get a job or an apartment. But my husband says that I am a um, frustrated social worker. <laughs> January 7th, 1984, I actually had been going to a Bible study on the book of John. And uh, it opened my heart to the word of God being the answer, the truth. It was the best day of my life. I actually was born with a genetic disorder, retinitis pigmentosa, and I still continued nursing until I couldn't anymore because of my vision loss. If somebody says, if ever said to me, hey, you could have your eyesight, but you have to, you know, get rid of Jesus, I'd say, no, no deal. Wherever I go, I try to hand this out to people. So it's 21 chapters of the gospel. I get around with my cane to cross the street to go in the park. Going into a park to uh, talk with people is a pleasure, first of all, but knowing that eternal life is real and people don't know that they're in danger, people have been saved in the park. I've had more of a reaction from the staff on, in the park that was not too nice, uh, like they would interrupt me. There's plenty of people to talk to. I don't have to be um, going after anybody. I couldn't. It would be a tripping hazard for me. I was sitting on a bench with a, a man that I was conversing with. The executive director comes over and he says that he was going to call the police. And uh, that's the start of um, the two-year ban, even from the library, which that was a little bit of a surprise to me, that they would ban me from both the park and the library. I'm passing out one of the 66 books of the Bible that you have in your library that people can check out. Uh, I guess my heart is broken uh, that I can't 
do what the Lord has told me to do. So if you want to say that, I, I think about daily the lost souls. I think the Lord has positioned me right across from the park. It, it's a divine uh, assignment that I absolutely need to fulfill. It's, it's just a must. So I know some of you are thinking right now, boy, thanks, Matt and Michaela, for inviting the depressing speaker so I could hear about all the bad cases. Uh, so let me, let me tell you the good news. The good news is we have a method of dealing with this, and it's not a theory. It's something we've been doing a long time, and it's working. And that is, if you were to look at all the legal nonprofits in the country, I don't care if they're left-wing or right-wing or what their issue is, they have the same model. Raise as much money as you can raise. Use that money to hire as many attorneys as you can. Put them in an office in D.C. or L.A. or New York. Fly them around, cover as many cases as you can. That's not our model. Our model is there's all these people of faith who went to law school because they wanted to stand for what was right. They wanted to ride in on the white horse and with a saber and save the day. 30 years later, these are the best litigators at the best law firms in the country, really the best in the world. And they've done honorable work for their clients, but they've never gotten to do a case for their faith or their country. We go and sit down with those people. We say, look, if we give you everything you need, I mean, we have on staff top lawyers from all the top law schools who all they do is religious freedom. We have a whole staff that deals with the media and every, all of that. If we give you everything you need, are you willing to give your time on one of these cases? They're like, man, I've been waiting 35 years. Sign me up. And you can imagine what happens. For the first time in their life, all their talent, all their training, everything they've learned is for the first time lined up with their faith and their love for their country. They've never experienced that. It's kind of unfair, but we now know we have them for the rest of their lives as one of our volunteer attorneys. And they give cover to the younger attorneys because, you know, they get to taste what it's like. And once you do it, you're going to come do another one. And so if you were to go through the top 100 law firms in the United States, most of those law firms don't just donate their time. They'll fight each other over who gets to donate their time. My goal was I thought we could really stretch God's resources if we have these attorneys involved. It's a blessing to them, and it stretches our resources. Sure enough, average case, every 10000 we spend, we get 60000 donated. So it really is a multiplication of the resources. But what I didn't count on was the win-loss ratio. Again, if you watch these legal nonprofits, they're created to fight something big. Industry, government, something big. And so if they win 40% of their cases, they're doing pretty good. In fact, really good. Our win right now, every year for 23 years in a row, has been above 90%. And it's because of this method, this, I mean, it's the body of Christ. It's everywhere, right? We can put together the most incredible teams that you could never afford in 30 minutes anywhere in the country, right? If we have a case in Montana, our attorney is one of the best attorneys in Montana from one of the best law firms in Montana. When they go into court and they look at the judge, they lost a tooth together in first grade. <laughs> the American uh, Atheist Association that's coming in town from L.A., they're playing an away game. Um, and so we should win. This country was built on religious freedom. The laws are there. We've got the best litigators. They live in these communities. We should win these cases. So normally I would say that would be it. I'd say, yeah, we, we got a lot of cases. The attacks are getting greater, but we're winning. 
But then something started to happen about four years ago, and that is uh, really started with judges. And, you know, we're a nonpartisan group, so whoever's elected, we're going to push for religious freedom. And we were getting ready to push religious freedom under a Hillary Clinton presidency. And then this Trump guy won. And we're like, okay, we got to reevaluate. Let's look at this. And then we immediately saw 132 judicial seats. These are lifetime appointments waiting open. That is unheard of. And we thought, we immediately felt God calling us, you know, we need to create the best vetting division in the country that makes sure that every person who's being considered, that we know everything about them so that we can pick the most highly qualified people because winning one religious liberty case is one thing. Putting judges in who will protect myriads of religious liberty cases in the future is even more important. So I think we've got a picture. So who is this guy? It's just an example. I can't go through 234 people, but I'm telling you they're like this. Top of his class from law school, goes to work for one of the biggest law firms in the United States. After seven years, decides, you know, I want to do something a little more significant. So he goes to work as a federal prosecutor putting away terrorists. Wins a national award for putting away terrorists. And then the new attorney general comes in and takes him off of some of his terrorist stuff to work on LGBT issues. And he's like, you know, that's not why I came here. So he left. Where did he go? He came to work at First Liberty. And at age 38, this guy who's brilliant and who would die before he would ever turn from the Constitution became a federal judge for the rest of his life. You'll never have to worry about whether he's smart enough or committed enough to the Constitution to issue right decisions under the Constitution. And my grandkids' kids will walk into court, and he'll be their judge. Who's swearing him in? Probably one of the future Supreme Court justices, probably one of the smartest lawyers in the country, a guy by the name of Jim Ho. Well, why is he swearing him in? Because he's now a federal judge at the Federal Court of Appeals right underneath the Supreme Court. He was our most active volunteer attorney giving his time for religious freedom in the country. <laughs> you start changing judges, you start seeing opinions going back to the Constitution and what it said, not what somebody wants or thinks. And it started changing. You know, there are two clauses for religious freedom. There's the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. They both have a horrible case that for 50 years has caused great damage to religious freedom. If you'd asked me four years ago, can you get rid of those? I'd have said, not in my lifetime. We can just pick away at them. I'm watching them both be imploded right now. Okay? And so let's start with the Establishment Clause. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. What does that mean? That means the founders didn't want there to be a nationally established church that we all had to support, and therefore we take away people's religious freedom. But in 50 years ago, we had a liberal Supreme Court that said, no, 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 it means a lot more than that. It means separation of church and state. It means if you're offended, you can bring a lawsuit. You can't bring lawsuits because you're offended. The only time in our lives that we've seen lawsuits brought because people are offended is if you're offended by religion. So nativity scenes under attack, menorahs under attack. Uh, veterans memorials under attack if they have a religious symbol. All this our whole life. Why? Because the founders wanted to squelch out any religious symbols? Or No. The founders would have been appalled because of this case. So we got the Bladensburg Cross case a number of years ago. This is a memorial that was put up almost 100 years ago by mothers who lost their sons in World War I. And then the American humanists came along decades later and said, you can't have this cross. It's on government property. And so we went to the Court of Appeals, Federal Court of Appeals, and 
one of the judges said, I kid you not, during an oral argument, why don't we just cut the arms off the cross? That way, nobody will be offended and we won't have to tear it down. They ruled after 100 years that this memorial was unconstitutional. So we went to the Supreme Court. And by the time we got there, a number of justices has been added to the Supreme Court. And we knew, I mean, Kavanaugh, was a, uh, as a young attorney, donated time on religious liberty cases. Uh, Gorsuch, we, th- we looked at this and we said, you know, we might have five votes to get rid of Lemon, which has caused such hostility to religion our whole lives. And so we argued for that. We said, we don't want you to just protect this cross. Right. Don't follow Lemon anymore. It's been disastrous for our country. It's not what the law is. So we won that case 7-2, but more importantly, 5-4, the court, for the first time said, we are not following Lemon. <laughs> so for 50 years, our country has gone in this hostility to religion by the government direction. We just turned. The presumption in the law now is religion in public is constitutional. Okay? It changes everything. Okay? And we're just at the beginning of this. Same thing under free exercise. A horrible case has caused great damage to the free exercise of religion. But we have the Coach Kennedy case. Coach Kennedy, if you haven't seen, uh, this is a great guy, 20 years in the Marines, gets out. Uh, Before he goes into coaching, he sees this movie, Facing the Giants, about Christians and coaching, and it just convicted him. And he said, Lord, you know, when everybody goes to the center of the field and they slap slap each other on the behind and says, good game, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a knee and I'm going to pray and thank you for the privilege of coaching these young men. That's what he did for seven years until the, the school came to him and said, if you go to your knee again, we're going to fire you. And he's like, what kind of, you know, he loved the kids. He knew if he took a stand, even if he won eventually, he would be away from them for years, which is hard for him. But he said, what kind of example am I? The boys are watching me. I've got to do what's right. And so he took a knee, and they fired him. Unfortunately for him, he lives in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, which is out of San Francisco, one of, considered one of the most liberal federal court of appeals in the country. They said coaches are not allowed to pray in public if anyone can see them. So, incredible, right? So we went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you know, there's some more facts we want developed. But four of the justices, in a very unusual move, wrote a statement and said, by the way, we find this decision below if, very troubling. If this comes back to us, we're, we're definitely going to be looking at this. And then they mentioned this Smith decision that has caused so much damage to the free exercise clause. They said, by the way, we noticed that wasn't brought up yet. We just want you to know we're ready to look at that case. That's a pretty strong signal. So it goes back down. It's developed. goes back to the Ninth Circuit. What do they do? Do they take the, the missiles from the Supreme Court to kind of moderate their decision? No, they doubled down. Okay, ruled against Coach Kennedy again. 11 dissents written by judges who realize this is wrong. The Supreme Court gets 9,000 requests a year for cases. They take 67. Three weeks ago, they announced, we're taking Coach Kennedy's case. (laughs) This will be the first time in the history of our country that the Supreme Court has ever issued a decision on the rights of teachers, coaches, with regard to their religious freedom in our schools. Huge impact to be praying for. So that will open up free exercise in great ways. So, I mean, we're just at the beginning, but what I'm going to say might sound pretty strong, but I 100% believe it's true. Every American is about to have more religious freedom than they've ever had in their lifetime. 
I, I don't know why God's doing this. Is he doing it because there's going to be a revival? I hope so. Is he doing it because it's going to be so hostile that we're going to need the protection? I don't know. I just know he's doing it. It's an incredible time. Now, the only thing that can stop this is something really extreme, something like court packing. Um, if you don't know what court packing is, it's been brought up recently. It, was, it hadn't been tried in this country for, gosh, 90 years. But just before this last election, a number of people were upset and wanted to court pack. Court pack is when you add justices to the Supreme Court to simply get to the political results that you want to get to. Okay? And people immediately know it's a bad idea, but they don't understand how bad an idea. If you look at other countries that you wonder what happened, like Venezuela, and there's, a, there's numerous, Argentina, you'll find that what happened was court packing. Because once you do this once, your courts are over. You don't have constitutional rights. You have whatever rights the majority party wishes you to keep because they can just add justices until they take that right away. So this is very dangerous. Um, and I'll show you, uh, just so you realize, this is a real thing. Uh, we've got a one-minute video that shows a number of people going into the election, and I'll, I'll give you the update of what's happened since. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. But it was a bonehead idea. So know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now look, I know it's a great question. I'll put together a national commission of scholars and I will uh, ask them to come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system. This is a live ball. Oh, it is a live ball. So we will figure out a way to get something done. Well, let's take a look and see. Everything is on the table. We're going to add five, six, seven, ten seats to the court. Well, I think everything's on the table. Everything is on the table. All of those matters will be on the table. All options are on the table. And as I've said, everything, everything is on the table. Presidents come and go. Supreme Court justices stay for generations. So we're a religious freedom group, but you know what? Religious freedom doesn't do too well if there are no courts. <laughs> so we realized immediately we had to do something about this. So we, we raised about $3 million. We created a massive education effort to help people understand this has been tried before in 1937 in the United States, that this is something everybody, I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, they should realize is a horrible idea. Um, a commission was created with 34 experts uh, that have been meeting for many months to make a recommendation to the president. This is a full push with a lot of money behind it, but so far we've stopped it. I feel like we're going to be able to stop it, but I just want you to know, absent something really extreme like this, religious freedom is about to grow in ways we have never seen, okay? There are going to be incredible opportunities if we're just faithful. You know, a number of years ago, I was minding my own business. I was just reading my newspaper at lunch, and I saw a picture of something I'd never seen. It was senior citizens holding picket signs. And I thought, okay, that's unusual. And I looked, and these seniors had been told they couldn't pray over their meals in the uh, lunch cafeteria in the senior center. They couldn't sing gospel songs on the piano. They couldn't meet once a week at a table and study the Bible because that was a government building, and that would be separation of church and state. So I, we had this young attorney on staff who's fresh out of the military, and I put the paper down, and I said, why don't you see if we can help these people? And before I could finish my sentence, he's like peeling out of the parking lot on the way to the senior center. <laughs> They said, look, we're the has-beens, we're the nobodies, we don't have any power in this town. There's these four people in the city council that control everything. We, we never thought anybody would help us, much less lawyers for free. 
So this young lawyer comes back to me and he says, okay, this city doesn't deserve to be warned. They should be destroyed. And I said, no, no, we're a Christian organization. We're going to send him a letter, tell him there's this constitution thing that they really ought to read. And their response in the newspaper was, religion is not allowed in government buildings. So I don't, I don't know if their lawyer got, you know, their law degree through the mail, but that's not the law. And so we held a press conference, and I had all the seniors behind me. And at the end, I did something I'm sure the experts would tell you never to do, but if you feel led by the Spirit, you do it. So I said, does anybody else want to say anything? At the end of the line is a guy with a cowboy hat, a bolo tie, a western suit, his only suit, and cowboy boots. 77-year-old Barney Clark. Barney walks up, and he says, I fought World War II for these freedoms, and I ain't going into the corner to pray. They can arrest me. Long as it says what is arrested for, rested for praying. He turns around, walks back in the line. About an hour later, I get a call from Fox News producers saying, we want the guy in the hat. <laughs> he ends up all over the media. He ends up being testifying in the U.S. Senate, which was his first plane ride. He'd been in the Navy. Um, greatest clients ever. We want a permanent injunction, never interfere with them, praying over their meals, singing their gospel songs. But my favorite part was what happened after the case was over. Everybody in the city watched the powerless seniors beat the all-powerful four city council members. And it's like a light bulb went off, and they all held a recall election and threw all four of those people out of office. And about two years later, I got a postcard from one of the seniors because she wanted me to know that she was now one of the new city council members. <laughs> That's the story of our country, right? The enemy always tells you, what can I do, right? Who am I? You're the body of Christ. We can do whatever we want to do if it's within his will and we're faithful. And so don't believe that lie. Gail Blair, who we showed you earlier, what power does she have, right? What's the update to her story? Well, we won the case. She's back in the park sharing the gospel. Every three weeks, we get a call or an email from Gail because she's so darn excited because somebody else has just accepted the Lord. And the guy who turned her in is now going to her church. So be encouraged. God is on the move in the United States. We just need to be faithful. We need to be strong and courageous. This is our time. Thank you. Certainly a privilege to be with you. God bless you. Oh, come on. Who feels better already on a Sunday? Unbelievable. Seriously. Is this, what do we do with this? Don't skip over it. Come back up here. Hold on, people. This is important. I forgot to tell you, what can you do? What can you do? Number one, you can pray. Okay? When Coach Kennedy's in the Supreme Court in two months, I hope you're praying for him. Uh, number two, you can educate other people. If we're winning and they don't know, what have we done? What have we done? But if they know, they're going to get bolder. If you start sharing with people all these victories. So you're probably not going to know about the cases to pray or to share. If you don't, go, text the word liberty to 474747. It'll send you a link, and you can start getting once a week the info on what's happening. And then the last thing I would just encourage you is we got to live by, not by lies. 
we got to stand and speak the truth even if it costs us. That's the time we're in right now. So we'd love for you to join the Army. We plan to win. Thank you. Oh, come on. Thank you. Thank you. How good is it knowing that we have someone like you on our side, standing and fighting, attracting hundreds of other very smart attorneys? Listen, maybe something woke up on the inside of you today. There's two things I want you to know. Every one of you, your voice matters. Every one of you, we can wake up something on the inside. So important that if you love America, we got to fight for it. Freedom isn't free. If you don't, why are you still here? I'll buy your ticket back to home, wherever that is. You know, my daddy served in the Marine Corps. My brother's in the Navy. To hear a man that will sit up here and fight so my brother doesn't have to put himself in the corner to make decisions that could affect his family is important to me. The Bible talks about how do you honor. One of them in Hosea 10, 12 is sowing into righteousness. On our app, or you can go to our info booth, I just want to let you know that I want to take up a love offering. I want us all to stretch out our hands towards the Shacklefords right now. We're going to pray for them. But if you want to bless them, 100% of that entire love offering is going to go to them. I want them to be refreshed. When they think of Awaken, I want them to think that they are blessed, that they have a home that's been praying for them. I'm going to put their name in our book of miracles. That there is a church that won't back down. That we're right here in California, the state we love. But Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this amazing man. And I know behind every man that's being this bold, there's got to be an amazing woman. I thank you for this amazing couple. Thank you for sending them to the front lines so my future is secure. Thank you, Lord, that you've given them wisdom and discernment. We pray as a church, a hedge of protection around them. God, may you bless them. May you increase. May you expand their influence, their territory. May you send them the greatest attorneys that believe in the fight. May you send them the most amazing staff and team members, Lord, that will come in knowing that there's a greater purpose than just a job, just a paycheck. God, I thank you, Lord, that they're influencing the next generation. I thank you that today, Lord, there's been an impartation to your sons and daughters to wake up and draw a line in the sand. This is our promised land. This is a blessed country. God, I thank you for the Shacklefords. God, we honor you today. We honor them today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Listen, I want to do one more thing. Listen, one more thing. So important. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. You know why we do church? The gospel is the good news. There is the best news. No matter what weapon is formed against us, God already sent a Savior. It was His Son. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you and I. No matter what you did on a Friday night, no matter what your past is, there is a devil that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, to take us out. There is an eternity. There is a heaven and a hell. Hell wasn't created for you and me. But there's one man. His name was Jesus that lived the perfect life. He was sent from heaven. He was crucified. And every sin that you and I have done, will done, it was to save mankind and redeem. It was God's plan. Jesus died for you and I so we could be set free. That's real freedom.
no one can tell you. But in so doing so, we have a decision. It's called free will. That God gave you free will. He doesn't make you love him. He doesn't make you be in relationship. He just said, if you want my blessing, if you want to spend eternity with me, which is his number one reason for creating us, is that he would have his sons and daughters that chose him for eternity. He will chase you to your last dying breath in hopes that you just hear Father's voice. And all you got to do is say, I want you in my life. That's it. It's a free gift. If you want that free gift today, just raise your hand up saying, I need Jesus. Maybe you once gave your life to Jesus, but then you took it back, started doing things your own way. You're like, hey, I want to get right again. Listen, if that's you, you can raise your hand. There's hands up the first service is that you we're just going to say a prayer i see your hand thank you i see some hands up here i see your hand right here thank you sir thank you you're worth the fight there's a devil that tries to hold you down underwater to take every last breath away but jesus was sent to give you life to give you new life to give you a breath in your soul so you can find your purpose while you're here on earth that's you just raise your hand i feel a battle for a couple people this morning Come on, thank you. Listen, we might come here, check the box, but listen, with those hands, hands don't, Jesus does the saving, we do the discipling. That's what church is about. We'll do the best job we can. But if you raise your hand or you want to raise your hand, it's not about raising your hand, it's actually a heart decision. God knows your heart. We're gonna say a prayer that all the believers in this house have already said, and when you say that prayer, Jesus enters your heart. Your eternity is secure. And let me tell you, there's a party in heaven today. Angels celebrate your decision. One more, back into the kingdom. If that's you today, let's say this prayer together, all of us. You guys ready? Come on, Heavenly Father. Come on, we can do better. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. Today, I repent. I'm forgiven. I'm bold, I'm strong, I'm courageous. Thank you for loving me. The f heaven is my home, and may the rest of my life be the best of my life. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.